My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. We're excited if you are here visiting for your first time. Um, just welcome. We're really glad that you're here. And we're excited about what God's doing at the barn. If you can't tell, we are a pretty excited group of people. Um, and I do want to make another just extra plug for Family of Promise because I know that like the people who really plugged that aren't able to be here right now. And it's next week and we don't have enough people to cook meals, which is kind of like an important piece. So you, you, you don't even have to really cook it. You buy it and bring it and you stay and eat with the family. My family did this last time and it was awesome. I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to pump you up. Like we had a great time getting to know the actual people who were, who were housing and, and the relationships that were built there. And I, just because I work here, I got to see them throughout the week after that. And I became friends with especially the one lady and her daughters. And it was a neat bond that wouldn't have been there if we hadn't done the meal. And so um, I really want to encourage you to sign up for that. You know, if your week looks too busy, it's probably a good sign you're supposed to do it. Okay. So um, sign up. You hear what I'm saying? Good. And uh, we're going to continue our, we've been teaching through the book, not the whole book, but a a portion of the book of Romans, um, chapters 12 to 15, I believe. And so I'm right in the middle of that. We're going to be talking about that. But I want to start by telling you um, a little bit of a story. St. Augustine, who you may or may not have heard of, was um, someone who lived in the middle to late 300s. And he he is known as being the greatest theologian of that medieval time and really a father of the faith continuing on till today. You've probably all heard of St. Augustine. You probably know some about his teachings, but really he laid out a lot of theological principles that continued on in the forming of the Christian church. But before that happened in his life, he was not the most Christian living type guy. And uh, he, he tend to do a lot of pleasing his flesh. Oh, middle school, you're released. I see middle school going out. I'm trusting there's an adult with them. Good. Um, if not, I'm sure they won't break anything. Maybe. So he, he, lived, he lived a life of satisfying his fleshly desires. And, but he had this mom who was praying for him all the time. And I read about this where he, as he moved, they lived, grew up in Africa, but he moved into Europe and moved around. And as he moved and, and did some schooling and stuff, his mom would move too. And sometimes he didn't even know that she was living in the same city. He, she was sneaky, but she was praying for him, praying for his salvation. So she finally got him to go to a church and he started to get a little bit of a sense of God's conviction in his life. But he was so frustrated with himself because he could never lay down the sinfulness and his flesh was just too strong. And I want to read you this quote from uh, some writing about him. Finally, he reached a day when his inner struggles were too great to bear. And he tried reading scripture, but abandoned the effort, unable to act on the truth he knew. He was so frustrated. He knew what he should be doing, but he couldn't do it. And he began to weep. And he threw himself down on the ground. He said, how long, God? And he heard an answer. Why not now? And a child's song began to sing to him and repeat over and over, take it and read it, take it and read it, take it and read it. It started happening in his spirit. So he picked the Bible back up and he read this passage that we're going to study today. And he read this passage and faith flooded him. So let me read the passage to you. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. All the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the law. 
And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Think that was convicting for him? Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness or sexual immorality or debauchery or dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And it says he immediately thrust aside the sins of the flesh that had held him in bondage. And he went and was baptized and went on to live an incredible life for Jesus. And this is the passage we're going to study today. Let's pray. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak through the word of God and into us. I pray, as Jesus often said, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Give us ears to hear, God. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would um, bring conviction where conviction is needed, God. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, into this room to do more than my words can do, God. That you would work all through this room right now. Amen. Amen. For me, the central verse is this. It's right in the middle. There's, there's love and there's character. And right in the middle, there's this alarm clock going off. He says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up. You know that feeling when you wake up and the hour has already come for you to wake up? You know what I mean? And you're like, oh no. Has that ever happened to you? Never. No, you guys are responsible. You know, a couple months ago, I got this call. Or I think it was a text. It was a text from Jonathan. I was, I was laying in bed, and he texted me, and he was like, where are you? It was a Sunday morning, and it was like 8.30. I live five minutes away, and normally we get there an hour before church starts. And for some reason in my head, church started at 10, which it doesn't. And he was like, where are you? I was like, I'm... I'm in bed. I'm, I'm about to get ready. I'll, I'll be there. Chill, dude. He was like, you know, church starts in 25 minutes. I was like, no, no it doesn't. And then it was like that, the dawn, you know? Oh. I was still there pretty much on time. Pretty much. Good thing I wasn't on the worship team that day. The time for you to wake up has already come. The time for us to wake up has already come. Because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. You know, if that was true 2,000 years ago, it's pretty much more true now, right? Like if he, if, he had, if he had the authority to say, the time is now, because Jesus is coming back soon, then how much more is that true for us? Christians, we need to wake up. We need to wake up from our slumber. We need to wake up from our spiritual laziness and I say this to me first and to all of us. This is the point for me, the first point. Wake up. He's returning. We need to begin to live with an uh, a, a understanding of the imminent return of Jesus. What if you knew, what if you knew that Jesus was coming back in a year or five years? What if you knew? If you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, not like, you know, those books that people write and they get lots of money and then Jesus doesn't return. But I mean, like really knew, you really knew. Would you do anything differently? You know, that sin area that you've been like, ah, it's okay. 
It's not really hurting me. If you knew in a year you'd see Jesus face to face, would you change? What about that relationship that you haven't reconciled, but you know you've got time? It's out there. You know you should, but it's out there. But you knew Jesus was coming back. What about that person that you've been meaning to tell about Jesus? Hello? And you knew he was coming back. Would you be like, ah, I'm sure someone will tell him. Don't you think it would change how you lived your life? I mean, this is, this is um, living with the, the, uh, the imminent return of Jesus is, is like a, it's a kingdom of God term. It's a theological term that the vineyard talks about. Living with the ever-present reality of the any moment arrival of the kingdom of God. The ever-present reality of the any moment arrival of the kingdom of God. Any moment, the kingdom of God is going to break through. It's not just Jesus that's going to come back, but it's now. He could come into any moment that we live our lives. Here in this conversation that I'm having with this person, the Holy Spirit could break in. I'm at Lego store talking to a lady behind the counter as I buy some Legos and she starts coughing. Any moment, the kingdom of God could break in. I'm talking to my neighbor. I'm ministering to my child. Any moment, the kingdom of God could break in. It's a different way to live our lives. We're supposed to live on the edge of our spiritual seats, ready to jump. He's saying, wake up. It's so easy, though, to just be like, oh, I've been a Christian for so long. Isn't it interesting that the arc of Christianity, he says we should be more awake because it's getting closer to the end. We tend to be more awake right at the beginning. Yay, Jesus, I'm a Christian. And then we kind of just get into the routine. Go to church, 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 go to church. How many church services have you been to if you've been alive for a while? You know how many church services I've been in? I can't even count. You start thinking about conferences and small group meetings and holy cow. You know how many teachings I've given? It's terrifying how many teachings. I'm only like 30, I'm only 38 for 48 more hours, all right? But I am well in the middle of my 30s right now. And um, thank you. Um, I should say, I should say, since I have the power of the microphone, that it's my dad's birthday today. Happy birthday, dad. Total, total abuse of power right there. That was horrible. Um, okay. So I was at the airport the other day for like a day. I, literally, I was there all day. I got dropped off around two because we were headed home for the winter retreat. And my flight was at 6.30, but I knew, you know, it was like a little extra time, but I didn't have enough time to go home first. So whatever, I just dropped off. As soon as I got there, my flight got delayed till 8.30. I was like, oh man, I got a lot of time. So I knew I had a lot of time. Now when I get to the airport, the first thing I always do is I go to my gate, even though I know it's not time to leave. For some reason, it's just this thing I do. And I have to go to the gate. I get to the gate and I'm like, okay, it's here, right? The gate's here. I know where it is, so when I come back, I won't be late, and then I go do what I need to do. And I have like a little sequence. I normally have like an hour and a half, and I have a certain amount of things I do that include the bathroom and buying water, okay? Just so you know. Um, so this time I had six hours, so I was like, I need to work. Uh, so I found a place where the, you know, I could hide around and work on my laptop, and I did that for a while, and I was like, I need to eat, so I went and got some dinner, right? And I was watching the clock, watching the clock, and I was checking, occasionally checking in. Flight still says 8.30, 8.30, 8.30. So I show up like 20 minutes ahead of time. I did the water in the bathroom thing. I'm, I'm all ready. got all my stuff packed really good. I've charged up everything, ready to go. And then like, there's these people at the gate who don't belong to my plane. I'm like, where do these people come from? There's people everywhere. There are hundreds of people and, and another plane, apparently the pilot had reached his limit of flying. I wonder what happens when they do that over the ocean. Yeah? But he just, he had to land. He, and he landed in my spot. He landed, he took our spot and let his people off. 
And so we were backed up. We were backed up 9.30. Then we were backed up 10.30. And so now began this journey of not knowing when my plane was going to land, but knowing or take off, or either, actually. Uh, but knowing it was going to happen soon. And so my waiting for the first six hours was a, a, a kind of waiting where I didn't expect anything imminently to happen. And so I was just gone. I wasn't near my gate. I was off doing stuff. I was eating. I was carousing. No, I wasn't, but <laughs> I was working. But, uh, but then when it was like this next, believe it or not, four hours, I was on the edge of my seat. Because they kept promising things like planes. And pilots, they literally got a plane finally around 11.15. And she was like, but we don't have a pilot, which I don't understand (laughs) how this airport had so many planes and so few pilots. I don't know where they all were. I mean, it's like, is it that hard? It's mostly computerized. I'll try. I mean, you know, there's got to be like a YouTube video you can watch, right? That's how I do most things in my life. So... So then the, the, the pilot landed on the other side of the airport and he came through. We saw him. We were like, yeah! Like at this point, it was 11.45 at night. We had like a four and a half hour flight in front of us still. We were, we were like out of our minds. We're like, yeah, pilot! Right? He gets in there. She says, oh guys, we're going to start boarding soon. She starts talking and right in the middle, her phone rings and she turns around. She's like, <gasps> and she looks at us, right? And she doesn't say anything. She just hangs up and just stands there. And people are like, wait, wait what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? We're, we're all crowding around. She won't say anything. Then another person comes and have a little conference and then leaves. Right? And then we start getting alerts on our phone. Flight canceled. It was midnight. I'd been there for 10 hours. And they were generous enough to hold us just long enough that all the hotels around the airport were full. And all the flights in the morning were full. It was, well, the worst possible thing they could have done. But the point of the story is not how frustrated I am with flying now. (laughs) I was praying about this teaching, thinking about the difference in my waiting. The first four or five hours of waiting, I was just not there. But then the next four hours, I was ready. I mean, I, I like strategically found a chair as the people in front of us left, I got the one outlet in the whole room. Have you ever done that? I was Hawkeye. Like I was watching it for like a good half an hour, slowly moving my chair over until I got next to him. And I was like, as soon as he pulled, I was like, wow, got it. Right. For the next four hours, people are like walking like this, looking for outlets. And I was like, yeah, I, got I shared it. Don't worry. But yeah, I, I had my stuff ready to go because I wanted my, my computer I had to be charged so I could watch a movie. Like I was preparing constantly, preparing, 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 preparing. I was ready to go. If she would have given us the green light, man, I would have been ready. My water was about halfway empty. That concerned me a little. I considered going and getting some, but I didn't want to miss anything. Doesn't that sound like a parable Jesus might tell about virgins and oil and stuff like that? I mean, it doesn't really make sense to our society to talk about virgins and oil, but it's very similar, okay? Okay. He told five parables about not being unready. Do you know that? Five parables about not being unready. And he said, listen, be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. Keep your water full, right? Keep your computers charged. Like servants waiting for their master. Like people waiting for their plane. So that when they come and knock or show up at the gate, you can immediately go. That's how we're supposed to live our lives, on the edge of our seat, 
ready to go, preparing, preparing, not leaving in case we missed something. And side note, they changed our gate four times. So if I had left, I might never have found them. That's a true story. How would you live differently if you knew Jesus was coming back? So the first point is we got to wake up. There's, a, there's an urgency in this passage. And then he applies it in two ways. He says, wake up your love. Wake up how you love each other. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. This debt should never be paid off. You should never get to the point where you're like, I did it. I have loved enough. We need to be red hot, on fire, burning with passionate love for each other in a totally platonic and good way. (laughs) Red hot and passionate usually doesn't go before love unless you're talking about, you know, your wife. But Seriously, we need to have a love that is, that is burning with the passion of Jesus for people. He says, love each other. Because here's the problem. You might be sitting there thinking, yeah, I got that. I'm pretty loving. But then if you look at the Bible for the definition of love, that's where things get difficult. He's saying, wake up, Christians. Your love has gotten cold. I mean, isn't this what he says in Revelation? Where Jesus appears and talks to one church and he says, I know that you are neither hot nor cold, but you've become lukewarm. And if you remain that way, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because there's this need for Christians. You can't really be a Christian without being on fire for Jesus. Anything else is something else. We're called to a life-altering, life-changing. Listen to the love that the Bible talks about. Here we go. Love is patient. Right there, like half of us should just give up. Not give up, but that's convicting. Uh, There's a lot more we could read there, but right there, love is patient. How patient are we with each other? How patient are we with other Christians? How patient are we with our coworkers? How patient are we with our children? How patient are we with our parents? Yeah, I got you. I see. (laughs) He was like nodding his head about, yeah, children. Yep, that's right. Those parents are impatient. Just, Just kidding. You didn't. I'm just totally making fun of you. All right. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered. I mean, that's, that's like one I should tattoo on my forehead, you know? Or have like my kids hold it up as a sign when I get angry. Love is not easily angered, you know? <laughs> All that would do is make me more angry, but eventually, put that sign down, you know? <laughs> but it's true. I don't live, I don't, I'm not living this love. I gotta wake up. I'm just caught up in how the world does stuff. I look around and I see how other people do it. I do it how they do it. Instead of getting it from Jesus and doing it how he does it. And Jesus defines love a little bit more. He says in 1 John, by this we will know love. That Jesus came and hugged us all and held us gently. No. He said, this is how we'll know love, that Jesus willingly stretched out his hands and let people drive spikes through his wrists and through his feet, and he was whipped and beaten, and he died from suffocating, unable to hold his own weight up on those pierced hands and feet. He's like, you want to know a great picture of love? I mean, that's not like a great love song. Like, you know, that probably wouldn't be super, pop, super popular. Like, I love you like dying on a cross. You know, I don't think anybody would be really into that. But that's what he says. This is what love is. And we ought to do the same thing. I mean, that's literally what the Bible says. You can't make this stuff up. 
We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If, and then, you know what it says next? It's just like, wake up, Christian. Wake up, church. If anyone has the world's goods, does anybody in here have stuff? Anybody have extra money? Extra stuff? If any of you has that and sees your brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Wake up. Wake up. No one else is going to save the world if, if we don't. In fact, that's not enough because First Thessalonians tells us that our love should abound more and more. <gasps> what? This is hard stuff. And that's why we need Jesus to help us. You know what's even harder is if you take love, you know, he says in there, let no debt remain outstanding, love one another. And he spells out the law and he says all that can be summed up in what? Love your neighbor as yourself. You look at the definition of love and then if you look at neighbor, guys, it gets even harder. It's like the call of following Jesus is so high, but isn't it what the world needs? Isn't the world looking for Christians who love like this? Whose love knows no bounds? I mean, who's the neighbor? If you just take the the Good Samaritan story, the neighbor is the person you feel most uncomfortable talking to. The neighbor is the person you relate to the least. The neighbor is possibly your enemy, right? I mean, the, the, the call of love in scripture is so high. I mean, when you, when you put it as love like Jesus did, we have, we have a lot to grow into. And I want to put it out there. I think, I think that's why he's saying, wake up, because I know what started to happen. You know, even just 15, 20 years after Jesus had raised from the dead, it's, it, you get insular. You, you homogenize. You get around people like you, and you love each other, and you take care of each other. There's an us-against-them mentality. You put up walls. You call things sanctuaries where you meet. Right? I mean, it just, and it happens over and over and over again. All throughout the ages, it happens. Christianity, is, it's got this centripetal force that we have to constantly resist. This is one of the pedals you have to push all the time as a Christian to stay loving others, not just each other, but loving others, loving the world, loving your neighbors, loving your friends, loving your enemies. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How's the world going to know Jesus? If we love each other. I mean, it's simple, but it's, so wake up. And then he says, another wake up, in my opinion. Wake up our love. Could we love like Jesus loved us? Love each other, love other churches, love the world. And can we wake up our character? Let us put aside deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not with all these sins, okay? Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something awake about that. You don't put on armor, right? Suit up with the armor of light and then be like, I got my armor on so I can sit down and watch some TV, right? You don't do that. You put on armor because you're going to go fight. You put on armor because you're going to do something, If you woke up in the morning and you clothed yourself with Jesus and then you put on the armor of light and then you went out into the world, I mean, you should be shining. You should be attractive. You should be approachable and full of love and power. 
I mean, what does it look like to walk around the world like Jesus did? And you know, I think that we struggle with this as Christians because I think that maybe Christianity before maybe my generation or before even your generation, but like, you know, two, three generations ago, there was a lot of like, obey the rules, obey the rules, judgment if you don't. And I think there's been a, a pendulum swing. I think this happens a lot in history where we go from one extreme to the other. But there's a pendulum swing where, you know, I don't want to tell anyone how to live. Right? Let, let's be careful how we say things. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as judgmental. I don't want to say anything too strong. You know, what we've lost is we're not the standard bearers anymore. And when the world looks to a standard, there's nothing there. We're, we're wishy-washy. We're whitewashed. We're lukewarm. And we need to wake up. You know, we need to wake up and start living it, not just preaching it. I don't think we need to start preaching it yet. We need to start living it. There should be a difference when you look at Christians and how they pay their taxes and how they have their marriages and how they raise their kids and how they talk at work, you know? I mean, how they, how they get ahead at work should look different than how the world gets ahead at work, shouldn't it? And it doesn't for a lot of Christians. And that's why the generation under me is leaving the church because they don't see it as being worth their time anymore. They don't see it as being relevant. And we need to change that. And it can start with us. And I think, obviously, like, this is sort of preaching to the choir because I believe we already buy into this and I'm not looking at any, but I also know when I look at my life that there's room to grow, that there's a lot of room to grow, that I need to wake up. Somehow Jesus was able to be loving to all and yet never compromise. Did he ever compromise his character or his integrity? Somehow he was able to be totally the righteous standard of truth and not offend sinners. How did he do that? It seems like every time the church tries to be that righteous standard of truth, we come off as offensive. Somehow we've got to find that, that ability to be like Jesus in the world. It's okay. No, it's, it's not okay. It's, we must have a standard that we live to. We must. We must be holy and righteous you know, and it's, it doesn't, it's not done through beating ourselves up or anything like that, you know, and that's, that's a different teaching. You know, the word of God says that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. You know that. So know all of that in context with what I'm saying, but, but it, as Christians, we should be living according to a high standard of God. You know, first John says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we're called to be children of the light. I'm kind of known about, uh, for, for being against cursing specifically, like amongst teenagers in like our region and stuff over the years, getting to know teenagers all up and down the east, eastern region. And, I, and, you know, it's like a joke a little bit. I've always kind of been against it and made a bigger deal out of it than it probably needs to be. I know it's not the biggest deal. But like, you know, I remember t- a time where this young preacher came and I let him preach at our youth group and he, he said a curse word because like sometimes people will say curse words when they're talking to teenagers to try to like relate. I was like, you know, I had to talk to the person. I had to pull him aside. Like that's, actually, no, I think I did it in front of everybody. I didn't pull him aside. I just said, hey, that's not okay here. Like, that's not the standard. Come on, if you're going to lower your standards to reach teenagers, what is your message exactly? Right? But so I, I've been kind of a stickler about cursing. And I know, I know people like probably talk differently when I'm not around. Like I know specifically that teenagers, you know, I know, I know that. It's okay. 
But so part of me over the last few years has been like, maybe I'm making too big a deal out of this. Maybe I need to relax a little bit, you know? And I, as a, t- as a, t- as a kid, I used to curse a lot, and I, I, they're still in my head. Like, they're there. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, something happens, and you're like, all this stuff, and then, like, filter, and you're like, oh, bummer, right? <laughs> it goes from R-rated to PG, like, you know. So... I was driving with Jonathan, driving with Jonathan this week, and, and he, he told me something that kind of upset me, not about us, like he was telling me, um, we were gossiping, and so, uh, <laughs> and, and I said, and I, and I cursed, it just like came out, and he looked at me like, <laughs> and I looked at myself like, what, 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 he's like, did you just say that? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. And like, it's not the biggest deal, right? There's way worse things I could do. But I was disappointed in myself. Because I think I started to compromise. You know, and it's just like, it's like this tension that we feel as Christians. Like, I want to be relatable to the world. Maybe you don't feel this. I feel this. But I, I don't, I don't want to be that Christian that people, you know. But I don't want to be that Christian either, right? It's like, oh. All right, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told anybody else except for Mandy. I really wanted to buy this lawnmower bag. Last summer. Last summer, I really wanted to buy this. I, I wanted a riding lawnmower my whole life since I was 11 or 12, and I used to sit on it in my garage and pretend to drive my dad's lawnmower, and I've always lived in a place with a lawn like this big until a year and a half ago, and my father-in-law bought us a riding lawnmower. Oh, I love it. But it is a pain not to have a bagger. So I was like, I want to buy a bagger, and I, I was like planning on it for a year. I didn't get it the first year because I am not going to buy something if I don't have money for it, right? And so I was very righteous about it, self-righteous. And the next year came around, and I was all set to do it, and I still didn't have the money. So I bought it. <laughs> I did, and I did not feel good about it. Just to be honest with you, I did not feel good about it. And just to be honest with you, I really think we had. Like two or three things. I'm, I'm not saying God's after me. Okay, I'm just saying I, I think I broke a rule and there are consequences and I had some financial struggle the next month and a half. I'm just being honest with you. I really think, I've thought about whether I should say this or not because I don't want to come off as superstitious or like God's out to get you. But like, like, you know, if you don't tithe, you will have consequences in your life. It's the word of God, right? And if I'm disobedient with my money, I was not a good steward. I prayed about it and didn't feel good about it. And I was like, Oh, well. (laughs) Have you ever done that? You are all sinners. I know you are. And I didn't feel good about it. And that stupid bag sometimes doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, I'm like, are you kidding me? I suffered consequences for you. I I thought about taking it back, but I didn't. And I, 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 I prayed and it took me a while to feel forgiven because I'm like that. But I know God forgave me and we've moved on and we've been honorable in our finances for years. And I know it's not the biggest deal. I'm just saying compromise. Right? I, was, I, I like to read the news. I had this USA Today app that I downloaded. I like to read the news. But I started to realize that at the bottom of some articles, there'd be inappropriate pictures and inappropriate articles. And I don't know why. I think they team up with some like pseudo news agencies or there's some ads or things. It's not that way on every app, but in USA Today, there is one. 
And there was a time when I scrolled down there and, and I saw something and I was like, why am I even letting this be here? You know, I wasn't like clicking through or, or, or doing anything bad, but like it was there. You know, the Bible says, set no unholy thing before your eyes. And I was like, okay, is this more important than my marriage? Hmm, right? Is the USA Today app more important than my holiness? When you think about it like that, you're like, no. And Jesus says some weird stuff about sin. He's like, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So how I interpret that is delete the USA Today app. So I deleted it. Why, why would I be like, no, I'll just be really good. I'll just get to the end of the article. And I'll just resist. What if there's one time I'm weak? One time is too many. Just delete it. What if you stay up late watching TV and then there's inappropriate stuff? Come on. You're like shades of, not shades of, no. Um, <laughs> I was trying to say, you're compromising. Like it might not be out and out wrong, but it's not right. And you're letting yourself watch that. Is watching TV late at night more important than your relationships? More important than your holiness? What about gossip? You get into those conversations and then you're in it and you feel bad getting out of it because you don't want to be like to another Christian because you've ever noticed it always happens with other Christians. And you don't want to be like, well, I'm better than you. Like, so you just stay in it and then you end, you're like, let's pray, right? But where are you compromising? On your money? On your taxes? You're doing your taxes right now. Are you lying? It's so easy. They're never going to find out, right? You know, have you ever walked out of a store with too much change? I mean, I'm saying the little things matter sometimes. This is, this is about character. He's saying, wake up. Okay, worship team, come on up. I want to pray for you. Let's take it just a little bit deeper than the little things. What if you're, what if you're really struggling sexually right now? The Bible talks a lot about sexual sin. Pornography is a huge thing in the world right now. It's everywhere. What if you're really struggling with addiction? What if you're really struggling with your money right now? I think Jesus said to me that in this teaching, he wanted to wake some people up and bring freedom to them. And so I want to offer that to you today. Jesus is well able, and I've seen it in my, in my life, over and over and over again, well able to free you even from the thing that you look at and you say, I've never been able to get free from this. He is well able. He can do it. It might not be one prayer time. You might, not, you might need to go to war against this thing, but you can and should be free. The Bible says so. You're a new creation. Let me read you a song from Keith Green and then we're gonna have a time of response where we're gonna worship again and you can come take communion or you can come up for prayer ministry. Let me read this to you. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. This is from Keith Green. You guys know Keith Green? He's, he's a great, kind of a prophetic songwriter. Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care that you are going to let them down? Let them drown, sorry. How can you be so numb to not care if they come? You close your eyes and you just pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds a tear. But he cries. He weeps and he bleeds and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Open up and give yourself away. You see the need. You hear the cries. How can you delay? The world is sleeping in the dark. That The church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. God, I pray 
Let's all stand together. We're going to go back into worship. God, I pray that you would come and you would wake us up. The areas of our lives that we've allowed to fall asleep, that you would wake us up in Jesus' name. That you would wake us up. God, I pray for conviction. I also pray for faith in the areas where we've given up. I pray for faith in Jesus' name to overcome.